suburbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young, that the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance, for understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. I'm going to pray for Mike, and then he's going to come and bring us our word this morning. Dear Lord God and Heavenly Father, we thank you that you're a God of all wisdom, and that you have sought to share that wisdom with us. Open our hearts this morning. Let us not be fools who despise wisdom, but those who long to receive it. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Morning, everyone. Good to see you. If you don't know me, I'm Mike. I'm one of the pastors here. I feel I'm booming, am I? Yeah? What do you think? They're saying, yeah, I'm booming. I'll just mess about for a minute and it will sort itself out. That's what normally happens. Right. The exam season is over. Come on. The exam season is over. Hooray! A few weeks ago, students were lying in their beds, spent and exhausted by the rigors of their exams. And now, the results are in. And for some, it has been an emotional week, as Kate has prayed. High school students who finished their GCSEs and joyfully tossed all of their revision cards and notebooks into the bin now know the outcome. A-level students have opened an envelope, or maybe an email, with trembling hands, wondering what it means for their future. Some people have spent an anxious morning this week on the phone on clearing day. Now, clearing day is a time where desperate parents try to help steer their children through a system that no one really understands. I did it last year. And university students who finished the year back in June have been spending weeks doing low-paid jobs and forgetting everything that they had learned. Now, for all of this study and learning, are we really wise? We can all think of examples of people who were quite, who were intelligent and knowledgeable and educated, but were actually foolish. I wonder if you know someone. You can get 10 A-star grades at school but ignore the wisdom of older people and make a mess of your life. You can graduate with high honors from a fine university and yet have such a harsh tongue and such an abrasive personality that you go through life wrecking friendships and never really figuring out why. You can be so brilliant that your PhD is awarded without corrections, yet commit terrible crimes and languish the rest of your life in prison. We can be very educated and very foolish. And then on the other side, we can all think of examples of people who are uneducated, but very wise. Maybe your grandma. You can leave school without two GCSEs to rub together, 
but have such savvy in business and such a high emotional intelligence that you are a millionaire by the age of 25. You can spend your working life on a minimum wage job and yet have a character that's so warm, be a person of such integrity and grace that you build community wherever you go and you enjoy the love and favor of everyone who knows you. You may have never heard of quantum physics. You may think that Occam's razor is a shaving product. You may guess that Dostoevsky plays in goal for Dynamo Kiev. But you may also cultivate a healthy marriage that nurtures human life for 50 years. Knowledgeable fools and the uneducated wise. Can you see the difference between mere education and wisdom? Can you see that wisdom is essential for living well? Now, I want to just say two quick points of clarification. I'm not knocking education here. I'm very pro it. Uh, we've always said in our family we'll choose the right school for the, uh, each individual child, which led us at one point to have five children in five different schools. Now, that wasn't wise. <laughs> But education, which is prized in our society, and maybe if you, were struggle, you struggled at school, you might even feel second class. Education is not the same as wisdom. And on one level, you know, all of us are actually foolish. We all look back on our younger self and are embarrassed about some aspects of our younger selves and how silly we were. And what that means is that you're probably going to be embarrassed in the future about how silly you are now. So education is a great good, and on one level we are all foolish. We need wisdom, and God knows this, of course, because God made us, and he loves us. And so in his word, the Bible, we have a number of books that are devoted to making us wise. They're called the wisdom books. One of them is called the Song of Songs, and it gives wisdom on romance and sex and marriage. Another book is called Job. You might have heard of the patience of Job. And that is wisdom on suffering and the problem of evil. Another book is called Ecclesiastes. And that gives us wisdom on some of the big questions in life, philosophical questions, the meaning of life and why it often seems so ridiculous and absurd. And then there's a book called Proverbs. And this book is an absolute gem. It's an anthology of wise sayings that come from the time of King Solomon of Israel. And that was uh, around about 930 uh, BC. So about 3,000 years ago, King Solomon reigned. And so what we are talking about here is very old. It's ancient wisdom, but we're going to see how it speaks to the modern world. A little ch Oh, by the way, in your booklet here, you'll see on page three that there's an outline of what we're going to be covering in this series. And you can see that we're doing eight sessions on Proverbs over four weeks. So morning and evening, we'll be doing um, a, a session on Proverbs. And the way the book works, you can group things by a topic. So we're looking this morning about wisdom introduction. Tonight, about work. Next week, listening and speaking. The week after, friendship and emotions. Then parenting and planning. So it'd be lovely to see you as many of those that you can come to. A little child was once heard to pray, Dear God, please make the bad people good. And please make the good people nice. 
Her prayer makes this point. There are details of character that are so small, they slip through the net of God's law and they escape the bold challenge of God's prophets. And yet, these details of our character are decisive in our daily lives. The Old Testament law, the prophets, deal with the big checks of the Christian life. Proverbs deals with the small change, the everyday stuff, the little details that are so important. What do you like to live with? I wish my wife wouldn't laugh so loud at points like that. (laughs) What are you like to live with? What is it like to be your boss? How do you manage your time? How do you manage your affairs? How do you manage yourself? This good lady, does she talk too much? That cheerful soul, is he unbearable in the morning? This friend who's always dropping in and out saying he's welcome, here's some advice for him. That pretty woman whose conduct towards men is embarrassingly indiscreet, that opinionated soul who loves to state his views forcefully but won't listen to the other point of view. And as for that rather aimless and lazy young man whose life is going nowhere, Proverbs has a word. You see, Proverbs is wisdom for everyday life. It is godliness in working clothes. The Old Testament scholar Derek Kidner wrote a wonderful commentary on Proverbs, says, it offers a key to life. And he continued, the samples of behavior which Proverbs holds up to view are all assessed by one criterion, which could be summed up in this question. Is this wisdom or folly? Is this wisdom or folly? So, an example of a proverb that I've just remembered randomly. He who gets up early in the morning and greets his neighbor loudly, it will be reckoned a curse to him. This is details of life. Be considerate in the early morning. Now this question, is it wisdom or folly, is a unifying approach to our lives because it suits the most ordinary, commonplace things as well as the most high and lifted up things. Wisdom leaves its signature on everything that is well done or well made or well judged from a good remark to the universe itself, from a shrewd policy to a noble action. Here's why this book is so important, friends. Because in our daily lives, we need more than rules. We need more than rules. Life is very complicated. It is rarely black and white. It is made up of many shades of gray. Simple rules won't do it every time. We need wisdom to help us navigate through decisions and through life moment by moment. And there's another reason, you know, that we need wisdom. It's that because you can live by the rules and still be unattractive. I say this to those of us here who are professing Christians, we follow Jesus. We can live by the rules and still be unattractive. Wise Christians and wise churches are radiantly attractive. More people are won to Jesus by beauty than by rules. Proverbs touches the whole of our lives. Now, in the first nine chapters of the book, Solomon, the king, makes this introduction 
and he, he makes the strongest case possible for pursuing wisdom. He urges it, and he does it in nine chapters. We're only going to actually spend this morning on that. But in chapter 3, he says this, verse 13, Blessed are those who find wisdom, those who gain understanding, for she is more profitable than silver and yields a better return than gold. She's more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand, and in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways. All her paths are peace. She's a tree of life to those who take hold of her. Those who hold her fast will be blessed. What Solomon is basically saying is, sell your shirt to get wisdom. Sell your shirt. It's so valuable. And then in chapter 10, the Proverbs begin, and there are hundreds of them. Six collections, hundreds of tiny little sayings, most of them are only one verse long, and they're like time-release capsules because they're not obvious. Sometimes they are quite inscrutable. Sometimes there's actually places where two Proverbs seem to completely contradict each other. And the purpose of it is to make us think. It's like a a hard-boiled sweet. You know, you've got to suck on it for a while to get the goodness. Or slow-release medication. You take it in and it, it, it might take an hour for it to do its job. You've got to think about them. You've got to think. One of the, my favorite proverbs is this. The leech has two daughters. Give, give, they cry. That's it. <laughs> what does it mean? You have to think about it. Proverbs is trying to get us to think. And Ben, actually, my colleague, has put a lovely quote in the start of this book about Proverbs from a, a wonderful man, Tim Keller, who recently went to glory. So, Proverbs. These hundreds of tiny sayings, you can group them into different themes, and they, they, you can find categories there. Things like friendship, words, family, emotions, anger, parenting, money, beauty, pride, Envy, work, the sluggard, how to be successful in life. This book has 31 chapters, and Billy Graham, who was one of the greatest Christian leaders of the last 100 years, at one point resolved he would read one chapter of Proverbs every day for a month, and then he would read it again and read it again, because he wanted to be wise. Would you like to become a profound person would you like to live well? Would you like our community here to flourish in its life? Then let's listen to this ancient wisdom for today's world. I'm just going to make three quick points about wisdom today, and they might come up on the screen. The first is that wisdom gives deep character. The second is that it leads to straight thinking. And the thirdly is how we cross the threshold. Deep character, straight thinking, and crossing the threshold. Deep character, one of the things that we need most in life is character, but it is rarely taught, coached, or even talked about. And then we are horrified, aren't we, when we find we have leaders in public life or in the highest offices of political power who lack character, who lie, who go back on their word, who, who, who make false promises, who pretend things are happening when they're not. We know at that point how important character is. Proverbs wants us to give us the opportunity to develop deep character. Back onto page, where is it? Page four. 
there, verse 2, for gaining wisdom and instruction. What is this wisdom? Now, the Bible talks about various things as being wise. For example, people who have spiritual insight and are wise at interpreting difficult things. Joseph, Daniel, Solomon, these were wise people. Also, people who were good at management. People who were good at oversight. They're actually called wise as well. Did you know that? Deuteronomy chapter 1, I'll just read it out for you. says this, Deuteronomy 1.15, I took the leading men of your tribes, wise and respected men, and appointed them to have authority over you as commanders of thousands, hundreds, fifties, tens, and tribal officials. So to manage people, you've got to be wise. People who spin and can make clothes, that's wise, according to the Bible, says this in Exodus 28, tell all the skilled workers to whom I have given wisdom, says God, in such matters that they are to make garments. So you know, if you, if you know how to make clothes, in the Bible, that's wisdom. Along those lines, skilled in craftsmanship, skilled, uh, skilled workers, skilled, we call them skilled tradespeople. Bezalel was a, a, a great craftsman, Exodus 35, Moses said to the Israelites, See, the Lord has chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and he's filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills. To do what? To make artistic designs for gold, silver, and bronze work, to cut and set stones, and to work in wood and engage in all kinds of artistic crafts. So if you are skilled, good with your hands... If you're skilled at um, making things or fixing things or making things beautiful, according to the Bible, that is wisdom. So you see, it's not just what we tend to think, which is all about head knowledge. Wisdom is skill. It's expertise. It's competence that understands how life really works, how to achieve successful results, even beautiful results, Wisdom understands how real life can work well. And that means developing a deep character. Notice the words that follow right on in our reading, verse 3 and 4. For receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair. For giving prudence to those that are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let's just go through some of those words. Receiving instruction in prudent behavior and giving prudence. What is prudence? It's not the most inspiring word, is it? I think the Beatles had a song, Dear Prudence. It sounds rather Victorian. It sounds like a Scottish grandfather giving financial advice. Prudence, my boy. But the Hebrew word means good sense, shrewdness, insight. A prudent person knows how to act well and how to prepare for the future. They know how to steer the boat in life's storms. And then it says, doing what is right and just and fair. Now that is the kind of character we want in society, isn't it? We want that from people who run hospitals. We want doing what is right and just and fair from the, from the legal system. We want it from businesses. We want it from the mayor of London. We want it from all elected officials. We want this kind of character in our leaders to do stuff that's fair, just and right. And we need it in ourselves. 
this is where we will learn it. And then it says, giving prudence to the simple. Now, simple is not a word that reflects your IQ. It means morally naive. Morally naive. In Proverbs, the simple are people who are easily misled and they're easily enticed and tempted into bad paths. They lack moral judgment. They believe things that they're told without questioning them and assessing them. And they also believe bad advice. They need discernment. But Proverbs assures us they are capable of learning. So we've got to help the simple. And included in that is giving knowledge and discretion to the young. Proverbs was originally an instruction manual that was aimed at young people, most likely teenagers and young adults who were being trained for leadership in that society. And the book offers to give them the ability to make wise plans, formulate the best course of action to achieve a goal. Now, listen, Christian friends here. Notice that what Proverbs is mostly talking about is not to do with sin. It is to do with character. And that is where a lot of our problems lie. Not with our sins, but with our character. In the 18th century, John Newton wrote a letter to a friend. Newton was an amazing character. He had actually been a slave trader who had been brought to his knees, turned from that life and became a vicar. And this letter that he wrote was later published and it was called Some Blemishes in a Christian Character. He points out that while most Christians succeed in avoiding obvious external sins, many of us overlook blemishes in our character. And if, they, if we are aware of them, we just pass them off as kind of foibles. Oh, that's just me. But these character flaws are serious. They may not be directly against any command in the Bible, but they are the opposite of the fruit of the Spirit that Jesus teaches and that believers are supposed to exhibit. Our faults always seem small to us because we're naturally very self-justifying, but they don't look small to other people. And as a result, these small faults cause many Christians to have little influence on others. Newton lists these faults. I'm going to share a few of you. And he says they do damage to our witness and they harm our relationships in church. And he gives them comedy names in Latin. See if you can recognize any of these characters. Austerus is a solid, disciplined Christian, but abrasive, critical, and ungenerous in his dealings with people. He seldom gives compliments or praise, and he's almost never gentle. Humanus is passionate, but also impulsive and impatient. Doesn't think things through, speaks too soon, always quick to complain and lodge a protest, often needs to apologize for rash statements. Volatilis is very kind-hearted and eager to help, but simply not reliable. This person isn't punctual, doesn't follow through on promises, is always overextended, and as a result may do shoddy work. Curiosus is very sociable and likes knowing stuff. This person enjoys knowing negative things about other people and then finds ways of passing the news on may divulge a confidence and enjoys confrontation too much. Querulous is a person of strong convictions but known to be very opinionated, a poor listener, argumentative, 
not very teachable, and very slow to admit they were wrong. There's many more. But the point is, there are Christians who live good moral lives that are above reproach, but they spoil their profession of faith by character flaws. And that's all of us. Are you aware of what your character flaws are? If somebody pointed them out to you, someone close, how would you respond? Are you willing to take steps to develop your character? Proverbs will help us become people of mature, deep character. But it also has another goal, and that is the goal to help us think straight. In 1930, Robert H. Thewlis published a book called Straight and Crooked Thinking. Thewlis was a scholar. He taught logic and uh, psychology at the University of Glasgow. And Thulis gives all sorts of examples of how in everyday life we use arguments and we, we uh, use beliefs, we accept things that actually, if you think about it, are kind of crooked. They're not straight. They, if they don't stand up to logic. But, so ex- examples would be being prejudiced, having certain dishonest tricks in the way that we argue, um, taking something that's true in some areas and then applying it to the whole of life. Making arguments and decisions that are based on emotion, not that aren't really sensible. And he says there's a great need for us to think straight in real life. And that's what Proverbs wants to do. To help us think straight. If we're going to live well in God's world, we need to know how to think straight, not crooked. And this is not a matter of education. It's a matter of wisdom. Here we are back in the chapter One there, for understanding words of insight. Verse 5, let the wise listen and add to their learning and let the discerning get guidance for understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. So here's the second purpose of Proverbs to help us think straight. Because real life is not simple, is it? It's not easy. It's not straightforward. Real life is complex, full of unexpected challenges and difficult decisions. To live well, you need more than a rule book. You need discernment, guidance, understanding for how to make choices. What to say no to, what to say yes to, who to spend your time with, who to avoid, what to do with your money, when to confront somebody, when to just keep quiet. We don't have rules for that. It's got to come from wisdom. Life is full of decisions that take wisdom. What job should I do? How should I use my money? How much should I save? How much should I give? How much should I spend? Should I remain single? Should I marry? Should I marry this person? Where should I live? Is it wise to buy this flat house? Or should I rent? What values should we instill in our children? And how? Now, all of these things take wisdom. And as we come into the book of Proverbs, it's like we're tiptoeing up to a community of the wisest people who ever lived. And they're all standing there in a circle, looking wise. You know. Some of them have got really long beards, probably stroking them. Yes. Those of you who remember Monty Python... There was the uh, philosophers playing football, the Greeks versus the Germans. The the match kicked off and they just wandered around doing this. (laughs) So here's this community, this circle of wise people. 
and you tiptoe up and you, these people have spent their lives gathering wisdom and pondering deep questions and they're standing talking together and in this book we get to eavesdrop on their conversation and they sound like Yoda. You know who Yoda was? The little guy in Star Wars? You could never understand what he was saying. When 300 years old you be, not so wise and wrinkly you will be. You know, what is he talking about? Now, at first we were going to hear things, words, concepts we don't understand. But if we s- slow down and listen and stick at it, we will catch on and it will help us to leave behind our distracted, shallow, entertainment mindset with its easy answers always searched on a search engine. And we will grow as humans. And we will become profound people as well. And we really need this. Consider the impact of the smartphone on us. Tony Reinker, the Christian author, wrote a book called 12 Ways Your Phone Is Changing You. He's appreciative of new technology, but he reflects on some dangers. He says, we are now becoming addicted to distraction. We ignore our own flesh and blood, who are in the same room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We crave immediate approval. We lose our literacy. We can't read for long. We become lonely. We become comfortable with secret sins. We fear missing out. We become harsh with one another. My phone got smarter. What happened to me? And what's at stake for us is very important. Our lives become more chaotic. We get overconnected. We get hyperconnected. We're always making contact with people that doesn't really go anywhere. We are overinformed, but we underreflect. We end up trying to patch together some kind of coherent life. We have such a need for wisdom. Our identity is so fragile. Proverbs offers us nothing less than living rather than dying. It's going to give us deep character, straight thinking. So, thirdly and finally, how do we cross the threshold? What's the way in to wisdom? And it's there in verse 7. If you've closed your book, turn back to page 4. This is the, the key verse of the whole book, the theme verse of the whole book of Proverbs. If you could concentrate the entire essence of Proverbs and distill it down to a single drop, Here it is, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. There it is. That's how you cross the threshold to become a wise person, through the fear of the Lord. But what is it? What is the fear of the Lord? Looking at verse 7, it gives us the clue, because in the Hebrew Bible, often... Statements are written as a parallel. The first line is point A and point B. The second line gives you an explanation of the first line. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but, clarifying, fools despise wisdom and instruction. So the fear of the Lord is the opposite of despising wisdom. Despising wisdom is thinking that you don't really need this. You're just too smart for it. Or thinking that you don't need it. You can figure things out on your own, thank you very much, as an independent self. And the root of all that is pride, which the Bible says is the greatest folly. 
to think that we are self-governing, self-determining, autonomous beings who don't need God, who figure out the universe on our own, thank you very much, is the greatest folly. The fear of the Lord is the opposite of that attitude. The fear of the Lord means being open to God, humble before him, eager to hear from him and to please him. The key aspect to this fear of the Lord is deep reverence towards the living God, the almighty Father. Not scared, not cringing, not going, oh no, here comes God, what's he going to do? But deep love and reverence. And as we come to know God as he really is, we will gain the right perspective on life and on the world. And that is the beginning of wisdom. That's the ABCs. That's how we cross the threshold into being wise people, and it's how we continue. The Old Testament scholar Ray Ortland puts it like this. It can be extremely painful to learn the fear of the Lord. It is death to our ego and our self-assured opinions and our superior neutrality. But we do not change for the better by turning inward. We change for the better as we turn outward and upward to the Lord and sense his sheer reality, his moral beauty, his eternal grandeur, infinitely above us but relevant to us. Wise people humbly revere God and lovingly live to please him. Do you revere God that way, friends? Is that how you feel about him? The children's book, Wind in the Willows, two characters called Rat and Mole go looking for a baby otter and they stumble into the presence of God. Suddenly, Mole felt a great awe fall upon him an awe that turned his muscles to water, bowed his head, and rooted his feet to the ground. It was no panic terror. Indeed, he felt wonderfully at peace and happy. Rat, he found breath to whisper, shaking. Are you afraid? Afraid, murmured Rat, his eyes shining with unutterable love. Afraid of him? Oh, never, never. And yet, and yet, O oh Mole, I am afraid. Then the two animals, crouching to the earth, bowed their heads and worshipped. That's the fear of the Lord. If we are Christians here today, wisdom is more than just a concept. It is embodied in a person. More than just a concept, but embodied in a person. There was this one. He never got a PhD. He never went to university. He didn't have a single A-level or B-tech. In fact, he didn't have a GCSE to his name. He learned a trade, joinery. He was a carpenter. In fact, he was the local handyman in a village in the middle of nowhere. And at the age of 12, this young man traveled to Jerusalem, this, the cultural center, and he spoke to the wisest people in his culture at the temple, and they were astonished at his wisdom. Where did he get it from? 
And at the age of 30, he gave up being a carpenter and became a full-time teacher. His name is Jesus. And he is the wisdom of God embodied in a person. So if we want to live, to grow in the fear of the Lord, we start by looking at Jesus. And the best place to go is the foot of his cross. Because we see there a wise man hanging, dying in the place of fools like us. Because he loved us. You may have thought that you were above him, you didn't need him, but he humbled himself for you. You may despise him, think that his religion is rather silly. He does not despise you. Look at Jesus. Look away from yourself. Look at him and keep looking until your pride melts and you will not only worship, you will begin to grow wise. Let's pray. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Father, we want to pray now over this next month of studying and teaching and reflection that you would indeed make us wise. Amen. Now, just before the band play, I'm going to do a 